0: You're listening to the Diplomats Asia Geopolitics Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Putz, recording from Washington, D.C.
1: And this is Ankit Panda, also recording from Washington, D.C. Good to be back with you, Katie.
0: Good to see you. How are you doing, Ankit?
1: Good. Uh, now i got to apologize to listeners for the long break between episodes because I've been on the road a little bit uh, over in India, but it's good to be back. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about.
0: Yes, we do. So today we're going to recur- return to the AUKUS deal Back in September 2021, the US, the UK, and Australia surprised the world, I would say, in announcing a new pact, AUKUS, uh, under which the US and the UK would help Australia acquire nuclear submarines. This, you know, if successful, will make Australia the seventh nation in the world to operate some kind of nuclear submarine. Uh, It also, you know, marked the premature death of a prior agreement between France and Australia for for Canberra's next generation of submarines. It was quite surprising announcement, I would say, and we talked about it back then. Uh, but earlier this month, the leaders of the U.S., the U.K., and Australia met in San Diego to announce more concrete details about the agreement. And so we thought it would be a good time to come back to this. Uh, and I think we should just start with San Diego, Ankit, you know, what and work backwards into the geopolitics of this. But, you know, what what did we learn in San Diego about the the AUKUS deal? What kind of concrete details do we have to remark on now?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um we always knew that march 2023 would be roughly when we would get this level of detail because back in september 2021 uh basically the three countries came together announced that hey the uk and the united states are going to share nuclear propulsion technology with australia and that australia was scrapping the attack the collins class replacement agreement that they had with france for conventionally powered submarines uh and they didn't really have a lot of details about how the three countries would move ahead, so they said we're going to have an eighteen-month consultative period, which is basically when we're going to work out the details of how this great idea we have to provide Australia with nuclear, uh, nuclear propulsion submarines is actually going to move ahead. And so, over that eighteen-month period, uh, myself and others, and you know everybody following um, defense geopolitics in Asia has been wondering about how this would actually come together, and that's basically the answers that we got in San Diego. Uh, So I'll just really quickly run through this uh, for the benefit of our listeners. It's fairly technical, but I think the best way to talk about this is uh, as the administrations have, which is to talk about the phased approach that is going into realizing this capability for Australia. And it turns out that AUKUS is not just going to be Australia buying one submarine program. Uh, It's actually more complicated than that. Uh, And it actually, I think, addresses some of the risks and criticisms that had been raised. Uh, You know, I think, Katie, if I recall the conversation we had about AUKUS back in 2021, I think what we talked about was um, that one of the big risks is, look, the three countries are justifying this program, uh, this defense-industrial partnership, not an alliance. AUKUS is not formally an alliance. It's a defense-industrial partnership. They're justifying this uh, partly on the basis of augmenting deterrence of China in the Indo-Pacific and specifically deterrence of China invading Taiwan potentially. But the the criticism was, well, if you're so worried about China invading Taiwan in the short term, selling Australia submarines that are going to arrive in the 2040s potentially isn't really going to help you augment deterrence in the short term. So some of the answers now in the phased approach, I think, get at this, right? So beginning, for instance, this year, uh, Australian military and civilian personnel uh, are going to embed with the U.S. Navy and the U.K. uh, to begin sort of gaining some of the know-how of operating nuclear propulsion submarines. um, And... Significantly, uh, by 2027, both the UK and the US, uh, the Royal Navy and the US Navy will establish a rotational presence of uh, nuclear attack submarines, uh, conventionally armed nuclear attack submarines at uh, Perth in Western Australia, which is, I think, a meaningful um, way to address that critique that AUKUS would do little to augment deterrence before the late 2030s or 2040s at the earliest. And Then uh, phase three comes in, uh, which is rather significant. Uh, this one, I think, was not really widely expected, which is that the U.S. is going to end up selling Australia between three to five of its own Virginia-class submarines, which are nuclear, uh, nuclear propulsion, conventionally-armed submarines, uh, beginning in the early 2030s. Uh, now, that you know, is going to depend on a few factors, U.S. congressional approval, a few movement on uh, export controls and things like that. But that effectively means that Australia will be operating Virginia-class submarines by the early 2030s, which, again, I think addresses that critique that AUKUS wouldn't realize a nuclear attack submarine capability in Australia until much later. And then we have phase four, which is similar to what I think most analysts took away from the September 2021 announcement, which is so-called SSN AUKUS, uh, which is what the three countries are calling the specific submarine that the United Kingdom and Australia will buy. This is going to be based on the United Kingdom's own design for its next generation attack submarine that will replace the astute class. And this is the one that the Australians uh, are basically procuring through the AUKUS program. This will be built partly in Australia, partly in the United Kingdom with sealed reactor units. Um, Look, I think this program still has various risks and problems. Uh, It's not a perfect program. It's not a risk-free program. I don't think there's any such thing as a risk-free nuclear propulsion uh, experimental cooperative project of the kind that AUKUS has set out to do. Uh, but I do think the answers we've gotten uh, get at uh, resolving some of those ambiguities that have been lingering over that last 18 month period.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good point that there were sort of these geopolitical questions, you know, if, if these submarines are for deterring China, if you don't have them till the 2040s, what what use is that program? So I guess the question now is, is you know, those questions have been addressed. Uh, what has the Chinese response to AUKUS been since 2021 they were not terribly happy sort of characterized it as as further attempts at containment um and you know and are there other geopolitical angles to AUKUS um I can think of one uh one of our authors at the diplomat grant wrote an article this week that sort of highlighted another angle he, he i don't think he would make the argument this is the only angle the the china piece is a b- big piece but one of the things that he wrote was that you know this is this is a long-term way to further enmesh the united states into uh the indo-pacific security architecture in a way that that might be harder to pull out of since there's such defense industrial interests now in this um, and obviously that's with with an eye towards the 2024 election in the united states possible change of power. And, and, you know, the fact that if Donald Trump, for example, returned to the presidency, he has a history of, of withdrawing the United States from a number of agreements, you know, the Paris Agreement, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, the Iran uh, nuclear deal. And so this is sort of a, a two-part question for you, Ankit, you know, are the, is that leadership question one that, that you would reflect on as, as important? And, you know, what other sort of geopolitical angles beyond China could there be to this AUKUS deal? You know, keeping in mind that that's something this Sort of big is is never about just one thing and yeah. i think it's worth reflecting on the other ways of looking at it
1: yeah no absolutely i think i think that's a really important part of this uh look i think you know i don't want to sound overly optimistic about the phased plan in AUKUS. i think part of the reason <laughs> we have this phased plan with all these moving parts with the australians you know operating two types of nuclear attack submarines by the 2040s right they'll be operating u.s virginia class and ssn AUKUS. There'll be rotational forces. Uh, The Australians will actually be contributing money to the U.S. uh, defense industrial base. Uh, And by the way, those Virginia-class submarines that the U.S. will be selling to Australia aren't going to be conjured out of thin air. So they will actually deduct from the United States own stockpile, which is something that's already generating, I think, uh, some critiques of of this phased plan. But I think all of this actually addresses some of those uh, so-called, I guess, Trump risks uh, here, right? Because. Even if you imagine an America First lens looking at this AUKUS phased plan, uh, there are a few things to like here, even through those lens, right? It's not—it doesn't just turn into a program of supporting an important ally in the Indo-Pacific as a force multiplier, which is something that, of course, the America First crowd wouldn't really agree with. Um, But there's a transactional element to this, right? We will be—the United States will be selling Virginia-class submarines, uh, gaining rotational forward presence for U.S. submarines— bringing Australian money into the U.S. defense and industrial base. Um, The big risk here for Australia would be if, um, you know, we see something like what we saw between the United States and South Korea during the Trump administration, where uh, the the numbers change, that, you know, instead of Australia contributing uh, X billion dollars to the U.S. uh, defense industrial base, uh, we put in a, you know, a two times, three times multiplier on that amount, which will, I think, be a serious problem for Australia uh, you know what I left out initially is that AUKUS will be uh, or SSN AUKUS at least and the in the, in the entire AUKUS enterprise will be the most um, expensive defense industrial undertaking in Australian history uh, all, when all said and done it will be about over 300 billion dollars substantially more expensive than the uh, replacement Collins class submarines that were uh, on purchase from France so there are still risks here. Uh, and those political factors, I do think, are important. Um, there's also, I think, more mundane risks. Uh, the fact that, you know, complex defense programs, uh, historically, as the, as the 20th century continued and as the 21st century has gone on, uh, tend to go over cost and be delayed. Uh, so there's a really good chance that SSN AUKUS uh, might not arrive on time. And, and that's why I think we have the Virginia-class sales, right? There's also a provision that if there is some kind of delay with SSN AUKUS, Australia has the option to buy more Virginia-class submarines. Uh, that's part of the reason I actually think the UK might be getting a little bit of the shorter end of the stick here, because the UK is the prime mover on SSN AUKUS that's based on the UK's own uh, next-generation submarine design. Uh, but the United States potentially has a lot to benefit from here uh, in the... Uh, In the earlier phases of AUKUS with the uh, with the rotational presence, which the UK also does get. uh, But the big one here, I think, is the Virginia class sale.
0: Um, I want to go back to the British piece. You know, I, I think we can kind of understand the US interest in this and the Australian interest in this. I'm always curious about why. Why was the UK the third partner in this endeavor? uh and, and whether you have any thoughts on on that and I want to want you to expand on the the British getting the short end of the stick in this this agreement because um, I think as you rightly pointed out this phased approach there's sort of a fail safe you know if you don't make it to phase four at least like Australia still has nuclear submarines they just happen to be former American submarines um, but yeah so what's the, what's the what's the British angle um on this in in the Pacific
1: Well, so the British angle is that uh, the U.S. and U.K. cooperate on naval reactors, right? That goes back to the 1954 U.S.-U.K. agreement. Uh, And so there has been, uh, you have the special relationship, uh, unparalleled technology sharing there. Uh, And now Australia is being brought into the fold. Uh, The U.K. and Australia are, of course, uh, historical uh, partners and allies as well between them. Uh, so I think it just made sense to the partners to bring the three countries together. I think it also added an extra bit of sting for the French when the Australians ended up pulling out of that agreement uh, with France. Uh, but I think, you know, in general, it, it makes sense for both the U.S. and the U.K. to be involved here. What doesn't make sense and what didn't make sense from day one was the idea that however the AUKUS pie would end up getting divided, uh, the United States and the United Kingdom would benefit equally. Uh, that just didn't make sense. You can't really have a trilateral uh, you can't have a truly trilateral submarine development effort, uh, right? SSN AUKUS will be trilateral in the sense that the um, the reactor unit that goes inside the submarine for the propulsion uh, will be based on U.S. technology, uh, but I think the hull design, um, broadly speaking, the armament systems, all of that will be U.K. and Australia. Uh, it'll be it'll be broken down between the two countries, with some of that being done at Australian shipyards, which, by the way, is another domestic um, constituency that had to be addressed in the AUKUS consultation process. How do you make the shipyard workers in Adelaide that had expected uh, years and years of work associated with the French submarines uh, happy with something to do for AUKUS, right? They're not going to be building nuclear propulsion units in Australia, but they're going to be building at least something related to SSN AUKUS, Um so, going back to the question of the UK getting the short end of the stick, I mean, look, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I don't want to overstate that point. I do think the riskiest part of AUKUS is SSN AUKUS, uh, and, and specifically SSN AUKUS arriving on time and as planned. Um, the reason I, I you know, I, I hinted at this, but it's not great that the Australians are going to be operating two different classes of nuclear propulsion submarines. That's just not elegant from a maintenance perspective, from a training perspective. Uh, All else being equal, if I were Australia, I would prefer to probably operate five Virginia class submarines if I get any indications in the early 2030s that SSN AUKUS is not panning out as planned. Uh, And a lot can happen between 2023 and the early 2030s politically uh, with regard to sort of the development of technologies relevant for SSN AUKUS. So if that does happen, then the UK misses out on a substantial um, benefit. Uh, in this sort of phased plan. So that's kind of why I think, you know, the UK is bearing potentially more risk than either Australia or the United States. And I think somebody was going to end up getting that short, you know, that short stick, uh, depending on however this plan worked out. Uh, but based on this detail, uh, and I might be wrong about this because it's just, it's just way too early to say. Um, and, you know, uh, defense industrial management is improving in certain sectors, but submarines continue to be, an incredibly complex undertaking so i think there are still real risks there
0: all right well i think we've sort of exhausted the questions that i had written down you know is there, is there anything else that you think we should be keeping an eye on with regard to AUKUS uh, as the months unfold because as you noted this is uh, it's going to take us a long time to get to the end of the the AUKUS program um, so you know what what things are you going to be watching for in terms of uh, development and, and the partnership? Um, and i guess the the other thought that i had when i was looking at this is I, I thought it was interesting that you know when we had the three leaders in san diego uh they weren't the three leaders who had agreed to to office originally in 2021 only, only joe biden is still in office there's been political turnover in both the united kingdom multiple times and australia had a change of party at the top um but they they uh, as they sort of i think hinted at with my my question about the the trump possibility. Uh, There there seems to be a little bit more stability in in that commitment, regardless of leadership, whereas in the United States angle, there maybe might be some concerns there.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, I guess I didn't really answer your earlier question about the Chinese response. Uh, So let me just quickly on (laughs) that. Um, Look, I think I think China is basically focusing on the nonproliferation concerns around AUKUS, and there are real nonproliferation concerns, right? This is setting a precedent that uh, nuclear material will be removed from safeguards for naval propulsion, which is something, you know, I won't go into the details, but that is something permissible that no country until Australia through AUKUS now has decided to um, to engage. I mean, uh, the Brazilians have a low enriched uranium uh, submarine program, uh, but the Australians will be using, uh, you know, U.S. and U.K. reactor designs use 93.5% enriched uranium, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's in the form of irradiated fuel, which is not suitable for use in nuclear weapons. Um, but China is cynically presenting AUKUS as a nuclear weapons linked uh, project, which is why you'll see every time any Australian, American, or UK official talks about AUKUS, uh, they always say conventionally powered, uh, or sorry, conventionally armed, nuclear-powered submarines. Uh, so th- I think you know China understands, of course, the difference between nuclear propulsion and nuclear weapons, but that has continued to be a a, a talking point for Beijing. Um, the non-proliferation concerns were uh, important in the in the 18-month consultation process. The the three AUKUS partners engaged the International Atomic Energy Agency, for instance, and the Director General of the IAEA has indicated publicly that he thinks that the um, the three countries are moving ahead in uh, in a responsible way, uh, despite the fact that there's no way getting around the fact that the precedent is being set and Australia will end up receiving uh, sealed reactor units with highly enriched uranium fuel. That's just um, there's just no way to get around that. Um, China's also, of course, uh, linking this to broader uh, efforts about containment, Cold War mentality, so on and so forth. Um, But there hasn't really been a sea change after um, after the four-phase plan was announced. Two other closing thoughts on AUKUS. Um, One thought that I think is uh, interesting is um, polling in Australia suggests that voters are just not convinced, Uh, partly about the price tag, partly about what exactly the purpose of this initiative is uh, that price tag is huge, more than $350 billion. Uh, the, so it's going to be interesting to see if Australian leaders, uh, Prime Minister Albanese and uh, potentially his successors, will be able to manage this uh, domestically and, and make the case to the Australian people that this is a worthwhile expenditure of a substantial chunk of Australia's GDP um, over, over the lifespan of the project. Uh, And a final closing thought relevant, I guess, to geopolitics in the region is how Australia uh, is going to similarly uh, convince uh, Southeast Asian countries of of the purpose of AUKUS. Uh, Southeast Asian countries, notably Indonesia, uh, have regarded the AUKUS initiative with considerable skepticism. They see it as sort of pouring fuel on the fire of U.S.-China geopolitical competition. Um, Some Indonesians have, have expressed concerns about uh, nuclear propulsion vessels transiting through straits in Indonesia. You know, Indonesia technically can't restrict their passage under uh, UNCLOS and international law, but those I think are potential pressure points that could uh, come into play uh, in the Australia-Indonesia relationship. Uh, but apart from that, I think uh, I think we've covered most of what's relevant about AUKUS at this point, Katie. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back to talk about it on this podcast going forward.
0: I'm sure we will. Well, thank you very much, Ankit. It is always a pleasure. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, Please leave us a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and recommend us to a friend. And if you have ideas for future episodes, please get in touch with either Ankit or I. Uh, We're always happy to take reader feedback uh, and and, uh, continue making this podcast. Have a great rest of your week, Ankit.
1: Thanks, Katie. You too.